keep them in prayer. And really, a lot of our members are going to be in and out this summer, so pray for them. And if you would pray, uh, this morning, Tony Chua texted me, and he and his son Mark tested positive for COVID. So they're doing okay, uh, and they have basically been shunned. They've been shunned from their family quarantined in a shack outside. No, I'm just kidding. But just pray for them as they uh, recover from that and uh, pray for uh, a number in our, our church congregation as they travel and throughout the summer. But it's good to have each and every one of you here this morning. Welcome. The summer weather is here. It is hot. Uh, how many of you enjoy hot weather more than cold weather, though? So I, have, I have quite a few. Okay, good. Who are my cold weather people? Yeah, y'all are crazy. Okay. All right, it gets below 69, I'm done. It's inclement weather, go home, school should be canceled, that's my opinion. So, well, it's good to have you here. Let's open here in a word of prayer uh, before our worship team comes up to lead us in some songs. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've done. Lord, I thank you for our church. And God, we do pray, pray for Pastor as he is away. We pray you bring he and the family back safely. Pray for uh, Mike as well, that you keep his family safe as they travel back here in another week or so. And God, we do pray for uh, the Chua family. We pray you continue to be with Tony and Mark. We pray that you would heal them and strengthen them quickly. And God, we pray for our congregation. Lord, we thank you for those who are here, visitors that are here. We pray that you would meet their needs, that you would speak to hearts this morning. Be with us now. We pray you'd help us to honor you as we worship you together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll all stand as our worship team leads us in a few songs. Years I spent in vanity and pride, carry not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love, the true salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did spam at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I give to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. 
I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. All right, amen. You may be seated. And again, welcome all of you to our service. And uh, if you are a visitor today, there's a phone number there on the screens. And uh, if you would like to connect, we'd love to connect with you. If you would text uh, welcome to that phone number right there, we would love to connect with you at some point. And if you have any questions, there's also a connection card uh, in some of the seats in front of you. And if you'd fill that out and leave it in the offering plate, either way, we'd love to just have a record of your visit and we'd love to be able to meet up with you at a different time. And so welcome, welcome all of our visitors. We've also got a lot of upcoming events. Summer is a wonderful time. It's time for vacation, a time for travel. It's also a time for a lot of different activities. And so if you have your bullets in there, we've got a few things coming up. First of all, our men and boys baseball game is Friday, June 17th. We do need to know today if you are coming. So if you have not yet signed up, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And uh, we do need to know today so we can make sure we have all the tickets and all the seats set for that. So please make sure to sign up for that. We have our growth groups every Sunday morning at 9.30 all throughout the summer. So we have it per, uh, different groups for each age group, and we'd love to have each and every one of you join. And then Sunday, June 19th, Father's Day. And if you are in town, we would love to have you come, and we'll have a special gift, uh, gift for all men in attendance. And then some, our big summer events at the very bottom there. We've got a lot going on that we'd ask you to pray for and consider being a part of some of these. We have teen camp June 27th through July 2nd, and I believe if you have any questions to that, uh, Brother Coral will be back uh, this Wednesday, so you can certainly ask him, and then when Mike returns as well. We have our Teen Extreme, which is our Teen Vacation Bible School, July 12th through the 14th, and that is a three-night event here at the church. We have our Kids VBS, our Kids Blast, and that is uh, July 19th through the 21st. And we will have some information about those events next week and an opportunity for you to get involved. Uh, these are big weeks. We will have hundreds of kids here on campus each night, and it's a lot of fun. It's pretty wild, and we love having our church family to be a part of it. And then we also have our uh, Joshua Camps, which is another teen camp, July 31st to August 6th, and our junior camp for all third graders through sixth graders. And those we ask that you would pray for, as those are big weeks. A lot of great decisions are made at teen camp and during our vacation Bible schools. We see a lot of kids get saved, and a lot of kids make great decisions. And so we ask that our church pray, uh, be a part. These are some big things coming up this summer. At this time, we're going to have a special video before Theo comes up to deliver our message. Thank you. 
down every idol, desperate for revival. We cast our trophies in the dust, consume our desires in your holy fire. to you and you know it's neat how God works things out they had they, they didn't know what I'm preaching on this morning but I'm actually preaching on the subject of humility and that song says not to us but to God be the glory and I thought man what a perfect fit without even planning it so that was pretty neat and as as LJ said I am not pastor I'm not Mike but I'm also not LJ so uh, it's, it's me uh, but I just thought I'd throw that in there just so you know uh, I think you could tell but you know just in case but uh, I appreciate the opportunity. The pastor asked me to fill in. Of course, most of you know he went up for the funeral of his sister-in-law, so be praying for him and the family as they go up and, and uh, spend time with, the, with Becky's family and, and uh, minister there. And then, of course, I, I'm really happy that Mike and Joanna are on vacation, and they deserve it. They need a long vacation. Well, they're they're going to have a good vacation. I appreciate it. But be praying for them as they travel and many others. The summer's began, so we're going to have people traveling, coming, going. And so just be in prayer for people as they do. But just thankful that there's always people willing to step in and help with the different things. So I appreciate that. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, as we take a look at humility, the first place we're going to go to is Jesus Christ himself. What better person to go to? He's been our perfect example. He's our Savior. Um, and um, as we look at our life, um, I don't know about you, but one of the things in my life that always bothered me is when people brag. Uh, did you ever, ever, ever bother you? Um, back in the day, I, I respect Muhammad Ali for the boxer he was, but when he, would, when he would brag about himself, the thing about him, though, is he could back up what he said. A lot of people brag, they can't beg. But, you know, a person doesn't have to tell me that they're great at basketball or they're great at um, anything in life, music, whatever it is. I can tell by the gift or ability that God's given to them. And when you think about Christ himself, just coming here in the form of a servant, that's what we're going to read about here in just a minute. But thinking about this, our, our God, who is eternal 
past and eternal future. See, you and I had a beginning. We had a physical birth date. We're eternal the other way. We're eternal in the future because we know Christ is our Savior. But, you know, you think about God who left his home above and came in the flesh to be a baby, to have to be raised by human parents, and then to, to live a perfect life, then humble himself to be beaten, um, whipped, put on a cross for our sins. Um, that shows how much our God loves us. And, um, you know, there's a lot, of, everybody in this room, we have problems and difficulties in life. We all do. But when you think about what Christ went through, our, our God came in the flesh to save his creation. And that just, that thought just is, is, is mesmerizing. It just, there's, it's just amazing that somebody loves me that much and he loved you that much that he would do that for us. Imagine leaving heaven once you're there. Leaving heaven and having to come to earth and then having to go through that and, and suffer and die for not your sins, but for other people's. And then to ascend back up into heaven after that. But I think about that and I think about often about what God's done for me. And when I pray, almost every time I pray, I thank God for his um, salvation. I thank, you about, I thank him for his love and mercy towards us and his grace towards us. And as we look in Philippians chapter 2, let's take a look here at these first few verses. We're going to be in three separate passages today. I'm going to make you get your work out, whether you're using your Bible or your tablet or your phone. You're going to get your work out today. But we're going to be in Philippians for a little while here. In Philippians 2.1 it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But then look what it says here. But in lowliness of mind or humility, let us each esteem other better than, than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other. What did Christ say himself in the New Testament? He said, there's two commandments. Love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that's a pretty tough commandment when you think about it, right? You say, oh, well, I don't, I'm not stuck on myself. I don't love myself that much. But you know, to love somebody like you love yourself, that shows, a, that shows a lot. And Christ here is saying, not only love them like you love yourself, but love like I loved. And he, if you look further, this, this is the proof of his love. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, now look at this, this is Christ himself, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, when we look at that, and we just read it, and we just kind of gloss over it, and we kind of skip to the next verse, we lose the impact of what it's saying here in the scripture. As you think about that, God himself coming in the flesh, and it says, he humbled himself and he became obedient even unto death. Again, why did he do that? For you and for me, so we could be reconciled to God and have a home in heaven. If you came to Sunday school or growth groups this morning, you, you, you had a lesson about being wrapped in his righteousness. And, and, and the whole lesson is about being secure in Christ and not in the law. The law was there just to show us that we needed a savior. And humility for, the, for, the, for a human being comes when we realize what the Bible says that we are a sinner and we need a savior. You have to humble yourself to get saved because you have to admit that I'm never gonna be able to do it in the flesh. I'm not perfect. I need a savior. And so that's where the, your first act of humility really, really begins in your Christian walk is when you humble yourself and you say, I need a savior. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means everybody, all of us, every one of me, me, you, everybody. And so God loved us so much, though, that he, he planned a way for us to be reconciled to God, even though we didn't deserve to be. And so as you look at that, you think about, you know, we, we talk about being blessed in life. A lot of people use, you know, hashtag blessed. I see that a lot, you know, and just different things. And it's true. As a Christian, we're blessed beyond measure. 
Uh, and we're no different than anybody else. I mean, we're blessed because we've trusted Christ as our Savior, but Christ died for all, and all can come to repentance. All can get saved. But you think about if we, you know, a lot of times we don't have everything we want in life, do we? You think, man, I'd really like to have this different house. I'd like to have this car. I'd like to have this. I'd like to have that. You know, I think of Woody and the cars, all those car shows, you know, but I think when I go to a car show, I'm looking at that car and I'm saying, wow, that's, that is a really neat car. I'd like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having those things, nothing wrong with having a hobby where you're interested in those things. But when that becomes our obsession or our desire that, you know, if you're not satisfied now, that new house is not going to satisfy you. The new car is not going to satisfy you. A new job is not going to satisfy you. More money is not going to satisfy you. Um, I, I, I've had the privilege in life to know a few wealthy people. Um, didn't do me any good. They didn't share the wealth with me. But, you know, I, I knew a few wealthy people. But you know what I realized? Most of the wealthy, I, I, I'll just give you a contrast of two wealthy people that I knew. One was a former business that I worked for years ago, and, he, and they, the family owned this company. They had more money than they could ever do with it, you know, do stuff with it. And they traveled, they went places, they did everything. And I remember one day as I'm at work, I was, a, I was a district manager. I was in charge of several stores under me. And I remember getting in the car with the owner. And I remember traveling around. And the whole time, this millionaire is telling me how miserable he is. We're riding in his car, which is like a beautiful Cadillac. It's just like top of the line. It's got everything. He had a cell phone in his car long before cell phones in the car were a thing. He had everything he needed. And he proceeded to tell me two things. This was his advice to me. Don't get old. I said, well, I don't think I can stop that. It's happening. And, um, you know, and mind you, when this is happening, I'm in my 20s, okay? I'm in my 20s. And he says, don't get old. And then he said, he basically, in, in a nutshell, said, this life is miserable. And I thought, Here's a man that's been blessed materially, and he needs Jesus Christ, I know that, and he was very, uh, very closed-hearted against the gospel. He had a, his father had a man that had worked for the company that when the, when the father died, he had stipulated in his will that this particular person was to always have a job. It wasn't me, <laughs> it was somebody else, but he said, this person is always supposed to have a job. Well, this person that he specified that with was a born-again Christian. And every time the, the, he would get in the car with this man, with the man I was riding with, he would tell him about Jesus Christ. But the man hated it. But he couldn't fire him because his dad had promised in his will that he's there. So he could reassign him, but he couldn't fire him. So, but I know he, got, he heard the gospel often, and I tried to share in my own little way, but I was quickly cut off every time. But, you know, I thought to myself, how, you know, if you don't appreciate everything God's blessed you with, you know, give it to me. I'll enjoy it for a while, you know. But, you know, but I thought that. Of course, I didn't, wouldn't say that. But, you know, that, that was one, that was one um, aspect of that. But I knew another man, and that was very wealthy and professional athlete. And, um, you know, his name was Paul Westfall. Uh, and many of you have heard the story about that. But, you know, the truth is, he had millions, but he was a born-in Christian. He worked for free at my Bible college, one, right out of the pros. He played for the Phoenix Suns, and he, and he, and he, and he finished. And right out of the pros, he, he, he went and he came to our college, and I remember them telling me about the interview with him. They said, he's, yeah, I'm excited about this coaching idea. I'm ready. I'm excited to play. And then, or I'm excited to coach. And then they said, well, there's one problem with the job. What's that? There's no pay. You know what? He took it anyway. And just to show you how he was, I didn't even play on the team. I was one of the managers that helped with stats. I helped with supplies, do different things. But you know what? Every one of us that were on that team, he had a contract with Nike. He took us into the garage and he let us pick out a pair of shoes, brand new shoes. None of us could afford it. We're all in college. We got no money. We're doing it with brand new shoes. Then we get to the end of the season. Miraculously, through his coaching, the team's going to make it to the national finals. And the school does not have the money to send us. In fact, they didn't even pay the league dues, so we were not going to be able to go. He paid for the dues. He paid for all of our flights. He paid for our hotel room. He, you know, just everything was covered by him. We went to the national finals. We, the team did not win the national finals. Um, and he didn't just take the team. He took all the accessory people. He took me. He took uh, some of the other people that helped out with stuff. His generosity continued through his life. He just passed away last year from brain cancer. He was 70 years old. But you know what? All the way, I heard his doctor's testimony at the funeral. You know what his doctor's testimony was? When him and his wife, Cindy, Cindy is just the most wonderful lady you'd ever meet. She still lives there in Arizona. 
And all the testimony about them was, even the doctor, we said, when, they, when this family came into the room, I could sense the difference from families I face. And their faith in Christ just impressed this doctor so much. And uh, everybody they came in contact, contact with that was that way. Now, why did I share these two stories? Because most of us in this room aren't millionaires. I don't know if any of you are millionaires, but I'm not. But most of us are not millionaires. But you know, the, the truth is, We've all been blessed more than millions by our home in heaven and by our Savior. And, and, and that's the point of the story. The point of the story is not to tell you, you know, all my life stories. The point is we need to be content in our Savior. And we need to be thankful and we need to use his example in our Christian walk to be selfless, not selfish. We need to be selfless. We need to invest in people. And when you look at verse 5 again in, in Philippians 2, it says, let this mind be in you, which was, all in, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, Christ gave us our mind, but he says we're supposed to be like-minded like Christ is. And then he says in verse 6, who being in the form of God, in other words, Christ was God in the flesh, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In fact, Christ claimed in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Christ many times claimed his equalness with God, and, li- and rightly so. And by the way, we're going to be talking about Paul here in a minute. That's why Paul persecuted the Christians, because he thought they were blasphemers, because they said Christ was equal with God. And you know what? Paul was actually absolutely right in his beliefs, because he really believed that anybody that claimed to be equal with God was, was blasphemous. But then what happened to Paul? On the road to Damascus, he got saved and had an encounter with Christ speaking to him from heaven. And Paul realized that Christ was who he said he was. And if you're saved and born again in this room today you've come to that realization that Christ is who he said he is. And it says here in verse 7, look what it said about Christ. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You heard in that song as they pray, in the songs we sang even in worship today, how we give praise to our Savior. The Bible tells us to worship God in spirit and in truth. We all have the Holy Spirit given to us on the day of salvation. Okay, but it says to worship in truth. Where does the truth come from? This book. This is God's words. And so as you think about it, and, and we put it to work, it says in verse 7, but Christ, or he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a what? Servant. See, it's the opposite of what the world teaches, right? The, te- the world teaches you've got to be number one. You've got to be on the top of the heap. You've got to be. And there's nothing wrong with striving for success and be, giving it your best. In fact, the Bible tells us we should do everything like we're doing it for God. And there's nothing wrong with all that stuff. But Christ says here, he made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. And then verse 8, it says, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And that's what I want to focus on today, being humble in the Christian life. See, what happens after, I don't know about you, I've been saved now, gosh, it's been a long time, about 40 years, I think, I've been saved. But you know what, here's what happens when when you've been saved a while, you know what you start doing? Sometimes you forget that we're lifting him up and giving him the glory, like that song said, and we forget that where we came from. You know, one of the things my mom always said to me is, don't forget two things. You represent this family, and don't forget where you came from. My mom always told me that in love, by the way, not in, not in threatening or love. She just said, or not in threatening, I mean, but in love. She just said, you represent, you represent our family name. And when you got a name like Skorzynski, and you got to learn how to spell it to get to first grade, I, had, I remember that. I had trouble getting into first grade because I couldn't spell my name. It was either first grade or second grade. I couldn't spell, I spelled my first name, but I couldn't spell my last name. And one of the requirements was you had to be able to spell your first and last name. Well, I had to learn it to get in there. And, you know, my wife, God bless her, when she comes, her last name's Hawk, H-A-W-K, four letters. She comes to Skorzynski, 12 letters, but she, had a, she knew how to spell it within a few, two weeks, two days. Wow. <laughs> See, that shows, you, that shows you the difference in our intelligence right there, okay? My, my wife can outshine me in intelligence. But, you know, but you think about, um, as Christians, the name Christian means little Christs. So like it or not, the Bible says we're ambassadors of Christ. It also says that we are epistles being read of all men. So what does that mean? The only Christ some of people will ever see is you and I and how we act. Let's just be honest today. Let's have a little conversation here. What do most non-Christians think of people in the church? What do they call them? Hypocrites. Now, why do they call us hypocrites? Because we say one thing, but we don't always do it. 
So we say one thing, we do another. Well, guess what? You're not the only one that had that problem. We're going to look at Paul in, in just a minute. But, you know, the truth is, that's really the honest truth. And, and by the way, they have a foundation for what they're saying. What they don't realize is before we're saved, we, we were sinners that weren't right with God and we weren't doing the right thing anyway, but we, but we sinned. And after we got saved, we're saved and on our way to heaven, but we're still sinners. We still are going to do wrong. I was telling my Sunday school class, I don't have to think back too far to my last sin. I don't know if you do or not. I don't have to think too far. In fact, if I'm honest with myself, I've probably sinned since I woke up this morning. Either in thought, deed, action, neglect of something, whatever. Um, you know, the truth is we don't have to look back far to our sin. And, and what the world doesn't understand, if you're not saved, when you look at Christians and you call them hypocrites, that's the way you see it. But once you get saved, then you realize, wow, I understand now. And, but we do have a responsibility to be a testimony and a light. And God says, how are we going to accomplish that? We humble ourselves in the form of a servant, just like Christ did. And you know what? You love all this stuff in the Bible. Like, you know, a lot of people in, in Ephesians where it says, men, we're supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. I've been trying to fulfill that commandment my whole life, and I've never attained it yet. Do you understand that? I love my wife very much, and I would do anything for her. But the truth is, I fall short in that. I can't love my wife like Christ loved the church without his help. But that, I think about a deep love like this where he humbled himself and came to this earth and, and did that for us. And so, as you go on, it says, because Christ humbled himself, in verse 8, and he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, look at what happens. In verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Given him a name which is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every, be should, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you think about that verse. Christ humbled himself and lowered himself so that we would have a home in heaven. He died on the cross, and then God exalted him back to his as his position, but you know, we all know, we all know that there was that moment on the cross when Jesus said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had to turn his back on his own son because he held the sin weight of the, 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 the sin debt of the world on his shoulders. That's you and me. And, and so you can imagine that feeling of our, our creator humbling himself and going on the cross and having his father have to momentarily distance himself from that sin. The reason you and I can be righteous before a holy God is because Christ died for us and his blood covered our sin. And we have a Savior. And if you don't know that this morning, let me just encourage you to really listen to the different stuff that's said out of the scripture today. Those of you that do know, let me just be a reminder to you what God has done for you. Amen? Um, my son Eric used to tease me because I say amen when I preach, but I don't really do that in real life. So he would always say, yeah, you said amen this many times. You said brother this many times, and or sister, you know. But, but the truth is, the truth of the gospel, of how much love God has for you and I, it's miraculous. It's miraculous, just how great it is. So let's look at this. We're the, we struggle with being a good Christian, don't we? We struggle with doing what God's commanded to do. But the good news is, when he left, he says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He left us the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, who is also your seal at the day of redemption. He seals us till redemption. And so, as we look at, one of the things I love about the Bible is the characters that are in the Bible, they're real people, and they had the same struggles you and I have, and the Bible shows they're good and they're bad. Now, I'm very thankful. My name's not in the eternal word of God that says my good and my bad and whatever, but you know, I'm thankful that he put in there, not just that if I'm looking at people and all I see is what they did was right, I'd be like, man, this person was, never did anything wrong. They're perfect. How did they do that? I'm the worst Christian out there, you know. But God says, hey, I, I want you to succeed in this. But everybody struggles with it. We would all agree. Paul would not agree with us. But we would all agree that the Apostle Paul probably lived for God better than you and I. Paul would not agree with that. And we're going to see that in a minute. But when you think about Paul's life, educated top of his thing. My wife and I were talking about this. He was as close to being a priest as you could be. 
He knew the word of God and he went out and he asked permission to, to persecute Christians. And we talked about it. God met him on the road to Damascus and spoke to him and said, Paul, he actually asked him, why do you persecute me? Could you imagine Jesus asking you that question? <laughs> why do you persecute me? But the truth is, we all persecuted him with our sin and with, our, with all that stuff, right? But you think about it. Why persecute thou me? And, and Saul amazingly comes to know Christ as his Savior on the road to Damascus. And what immediately happens to him when he gets saved? What physical ailment happens to him right away? He's made blind. Why? Taught him humility right away. He had to depend on somebody to, to, to help him. And, and Paul, but Paul met his Savior on the road to Damascus that day. But, you know, Paul struggled. If you'd turn with me to the next section we're going to look at, it's in the book of Romans. So we can move out of Philippians, go back to Romans, and go back to chapter 7 of Romans. If you if you're get in chapter 7 of Romans, it, it talks about... Um, it talks about lots of things, but when you get into, um, we're going to start over by verse 14. So if you want to go to um, Romans 7, verse 14, Paul is going to talk about an ongoing struggle in his life that happens to you and me on a daily basis. And this is what I'm talking about. This is real life glimpse into Paul's life and exactly where God brought Paul to the point of, I would agree, I would love to in my life obtain to be a servant of God like Paul is. But like I said, Paul would, Paul would slap me in the face for that. <laughs> if Paul came up here and preached, every one of us would be offended by his preaching. All of us would be. Because he, he's not going to beat around the bush or say something that your ears want to hear, try to tickle your ears, whatever. He's going to tell you just like it is. But to me, I think, man, what a wonderful Christian life Paul led. I mean, Christ is going to be my perfect example, but I would, I would put Paul right up there as the top. But as you think about what, what happened when he got saved, all the believers were still scared of him. That's how um, vigorous he was about blasphemers. He went after him. He put him in jail. He went to put him to death. They were all scared to death of him. But Paul got completely changed by God. And as they trusted him and they, as he came into their group and so on, this is what Paul said, though, in Romans 7, starting in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but look what Paul says about himself. I am carnal. He says, I am sold under sin. This is what Paul says about himself. Verse 15. For that which do I do, I allow not. For that I would, that do I not. That what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consider the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Now, if you didn't notice in those first four verses I just read right here, verse 14 through 18, I got a little tongue-tied. And you know why I got a little tongue-tied? Because it almost reminds me of reading Shakespeare. My, life, my wife loves Shakespeare, and I love it when my wife explains Shakespeare to me. But I don't like to read Shakespeare. And, for, and some of it I do, but most of it I find it very confusing. And I think I'm reading a government contract where I can't understand what they're asking me to do. If you've ever done your own taxes even, you're like, what in the world does that mean? I just read all of it. Uh, Brittany and I often have to read stuff about the school. And we're like going, what in the world are they asking for? We just came through a school accreditation. Anybody that understands every point in accreditation, I think they're lying. Because, because it's like, whoever wrote it, it's like confusing. You know, just tell me what you want, and I'll be glad to provide it for you. But as you look at Paul talking about it, and if you, you look at those, those first verses there where he talked about it, you know, when I started reading verse 15, I started getting tongue-tied. But when you look at verse 19, it's very clear what Paul's saying. In verse 19, he says, for the good that I would, I do not. In other words, the good things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do them. And then he says, but the evil which I would not or I don't want to do, he says that I do. So see, in those last four verses, if you're a little confused because he was tossing back and forth, but he just says it bluntly in verse um, 19. He says, the good things I want to do, it's not happening. The bad things I don't want happening, it's happening. So he, he looks at that and he's just, he's just being real with us. He's saying, I struggle with this. I'm, I'm dealing with this in my life. I want to do what's right, but I can't always do it. You know why? It's exactly what he said in verse 18. 
For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. But who does he have in him now? Christ, right? Christ. So through Christ, he can do that. Now in verse 20, he says, Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, in other words, in his flesh. It says, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which is my, in my members. Let, let me give you a very simple illustration. You don't see much of it anymore, but I grew up in the age of uh, puppets where they had the little marionettes and stuff, right? My, my family went to Mexico. I didn't go with them. I was too young. But they bought, me, they bought me one of those marionette puppets where you move the little strings, right? Now, imagine you're trying to live for Christ and you're telling, you're, you're, you know, we have our five senses, right? We have our eyes, we have our ears, we have touch, all that stuff. And you, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go do this, but yet you find your feet pulling you there, don't you? It's like they're taking you down there. They're going, they're going, they're going. I don't want to go down this path. I'm supposed to go down this path. But why am I trying to go down this path? It's sin pulling at the flesh. It's sin pulling at the flesh to do this. Oh, I don't want my hand to touch that. I shouldn't be touching. Oh, I want to touch that. You can see a sign that says, do not touch. You might as well just invite people to touch it. Keep off the grass. Oh, I'm going to touch the grass. Just a minute. See, it's just human nature, right? It's our sin nature. But Paul says here, um, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is still present with me. But he says in verse 22, I still delight in the law of God after the inward man. But he says in verse 23, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members or my flesh again. And then look what Paul says about himself in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Do you think Paul had a pretty good self-evaluation? He did. It wasn't about putting himself down, but what Paul was realizing is, I'm wretched without Christ. I'm a sinner and I know it. My flesh wants to do what's wrong and I know it. And believe me, I know it in my life. I don't know if you know it in your life, but I know. And Paul's just saying, I'm a wretched man. So see, when I say I want to be as good a Christian as Paul, Paul says, no, you don't. I'm wretched. I don't want to be, you don't want to be like me. I'm wretched. And then he says, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Now look at verse 25. The whole thing changes. Why? Look what he's going to say. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see what he says? I'm a wretched man, but I'm not because of Christ our Lord. Christ has brought me back into a relationship with God. He's given me a home in heaven. Why? Because I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. So even though Paul realizes that all about himself, everything in the flesh, the laws there to point out that we sin, everything is, is, is against him. But in that one simple verse, he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then when the mind I serve, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So he, he realizes that our body's torn to do both. You remember the old cartoons? Devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. Devil's trying to tell you, do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. I love those cartoons just because it's so accurate in human life. The devil's trying to get you to do the wrong thing, and the angel's saying, no, you need to do what, the right thing. But you know, it's true. We fight that in the flesh every day. I often say one of the things I'm going to enjoy the most about heaven is not having that pull of the flesh any longer. I'm going to have a new glorified body. I don't know what all that means. Not going to be hard to improve on this. Okay? But I mean, I, I think about now. We have a finite mind. God has an infinite mind. And we, I, don't you love the beauty here on earth? I mean, when you're up here at the church at sundown, we have some of the most beautiful sunsets Ever. I don't know about sunrise. I'm not usually here at sunrise, okay? But sunset, most beautiful ones back here. When I think of how beautiful God created, uh, especially I was talking with a couple people in the last week or so about the beauty of California. You got the ocean, you got the mountains, you got everything. There's a lot of stuff wrong with California, but the beauty part of California is not, not, the, not it. You know, God created it. It's beautiful. But think about how much greater heaven's going to be. And look at, verse, look at, just go into chapter 8 of Romans real quick for the first two verses. Paul talked about all that stuff. I'm a wretched man. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. In chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation. I like that word, don't you? No condemnation. I like that. It says, To them which are in who? Christ Jesus. 
who walk not after the flesh, but what? After the Spirit. So again, when we talk about humbling ourselves, first thing we got to say is, I'm not good enough. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I need a Savior. The first humility in our Christian walk says when we come to accept that we need a Savior and we trust Christ as that Savior. Then after that, we see that we're still going to have times where we wrestle against the flesh. Paul did. But Paul says the good news is there's no condemnation. Why? Because Christ's blood paid for our sin. He paid for something we couldn't pay for. Um, and then it says, for the, in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? Free. Free from what? The law of sin and of death. You know, you realize as a Christian, you have the answer that the whole world is seeking through entertainment, material goods, alcohol, drugs, you fill in the blank, whatever it is, but you have the answer. You know Christ is your Savior. You, ha- you know what's going to happen after this life. You know where you're going after this life. You know your purpose for being on this earth. And you think about that. Don't, don't you agree that the whole world is looking for that? You know, I've had the privilege of working here for the last 20 years, you know, but, and I was mainly around Christians constantly. But, you know, the truth is, before that, I was, I was, I was working, in, and I'm still, obviously, good around non-Christians, but I was working with mostly non-Christians before. And you know what? All the time I could share with them how good God it is knowing all those things, because they were all seeking those things. Now, they said it in different ways that didn't, they didn't say like, hey, nobody ever came up to me and said, hey, you know, Theo, I'm really looking for the meaning of life. You know, nobody ever said that to me. Nobody ever said, hey, Theo, I'm going to go out tonight and I'm going, I'm going drinking and I'm going to do some drugs. And uh, they didn't say to me, hey, I'm doing that because I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to find peace and escape from this life. Now, mind you, on a lot of times, even to this day, people invite me to go drinking and partying with them or whatever, and of course I turn them down. Um, but, you know, why are they doing that? They're doing it because they're trying to escape the reality of this, you know, all the stuff that they're dealing with. But Paul said, right here, after all that, that uh, back and forth stress or, or, or pull he felt of the flesh, but he talked about how through Christ it's all so wonderful. There's no more condemnation. Christ himself, right after John 3.16, when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In verse 17, I'm going to go there so I don't misquote that one. But in John 3.17, he said he came into the world not to condemn the world, but the world was condemned already. And if uh, let me read that exactly word for word, because I don't want to mess it up. I'm just going to go back to that one verse. John 3.17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believe, Verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you realize before I knew Christ, I was condemned already? I was already destined for hell. A place that was never meant for any person. It was meant for the devil and his angels that left with him. But you know, you think about that. Everybody born into this world, there's, I believe, 7 billion, quickly approaching 8 billion, is that right, on the planet right now? Every one of them is going somewhere. And the more that we can get the the word of God to and the eternal life to, that they can go to heaven, the better. Even God, God says about himself, he wishes that all would come to repentance. In other words, for God so loved the world. It's not just because he loved us. And so as you look at that, you, okay, we're talking about humility. We're talking about Christ being humble. Then we looked at this next point. We looked about Paul's struggle of his two natures. And, but yet, in his statement on the two natures, we can see his humility. Because again, focus in that he said uh, that um, he was a wretched man that I am. And then um, he also mentioned, um, no good dwelleth in me, and so on. So in this, in this passage, he was still humble enough to realize who he was before a holy God. And that's where we need to be, too, on a constant basis. That will make us esteem our brothers and sisters in Christ more important. That will make us want to share that with the lost world more. By the way, I'm just like you. It, it does not terrify me any longer to get up here and speak to a group of people, but there is a day that it did. 
my knees knocked every time and I was scared to death. But you know the truth is, I'm still scared to death when I share the gospel with somebody one-on-one. And you know why I'm scared, to, scared of that? Because of my flesh. The truth is, I'm very confident that Christ died for me on the cross. I'm very confident that I'm born again and that I'm a home in heaven. But what is my flesh thinking when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody else? Are they going to like me? Are they going to reject me? Are they going to be mad at me because I shared the gospel? I'm just being honest with you. That's why I don't share as often as I should because I'm afraid, especially when it's family or a close friend. They all know me. I've told you the story before. I went to Bible college. My sister said, if you ever preach, we're going to sit in the back row and tell everybody the true you. And I said, that's okay. I have the microphone, so I'm getting the last word in. But, you know, the truth is they could tell a lot of my sins from childhood, but I could tell theirs too. But they could tell. But they used to tell me that. By the way, they never did that. They never did come in and do that to me. But, you know, as you think, as you think about that, Paul wrestled. Okay, let's, let's, so we look at Paul's struggle of his two na- natures. Now let's go look at another vision of Paul in 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, and it's, um, we'll look at this other part of it here real quick. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. So, so far we looked in Philippians, we looked in Romans, and now we're looking in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. Paul is going to testify here about the grace of God. What do we mean about God's grace and mercy? Well, one thing that we mean is I'm not getting a punishment that I deserve. The punishment I deserve because of my sin debt is to be separated from God forever. But God loved me so much, he said, guess what? I provided a way for you to be reconciled to me. That's through my son, Jesus Christ. And you know, we all know this. Salvation is Christian 101, right? I mean, when you become a Christian, you learn about salvation. That's the first thing you learn. As Christ, as they go further, Christ says not to to stay on the milk of the word, but get into the meat of the word, right? But the truth is, we all need to be reminded about how to live our Christian life and how to stay humble before the Lord. We also need to be reminded of what Christ expects of us as a believer. If, you know, our staff, we make great jokes about this, but every year in in-service or every two years, we get taught CPR and first aid training. And based based on the way my coworkers act, I don't know if they could save my life or not. I have no idea because they're joking about the mannequin. They're joking about the AED. Uh, to be honest, that's why I'm leaving. I'm afraid for my life. I'm leaving. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, the serious truth is we could do it if it came down to it. Um, I have great confidence. Scott's right here in the second row. I have great confidence in Scott. He's our security guard. I know that at the very least, if he can't help me, if I'm, he might not want to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on me. But at the very least, he could call 911 and run back and get the AED machine and put it on me and make it work, you know, he'd send somebody. But, you know, if I had the power to save your life, you were dying, you were drowning, you weren't breathing, you needed that, we would all gladly do that, wouldn't we? I saw that all my life growing up. My mom was a registered nurse. When we were on vacation, she was still a registered nurse. We hit a car accident, she was on the scene. She didn't care if there was firefighters there, paramedics, she didn't care. She was there. Uh, I've shared this story before. I remember one vacation. She, a dump truck ran a red light, hit a van full of a family in a van, and all the family was expelled out of the vehicle, and they're laying on the road. We're the first on the scene. I remember my mom. I, I, I've ne- I always respected and honored my mom, but to this day I saw my mom as superwoman. She was running from person to person, doing the best she could to triage and figure out who needed me first. The problem was there were several people not breathing. And I remember just, she told me, wait in the car, but I'm seeing everything from the car. And she's literally covered with blood. She comes back from, she stays there. She's working with the people until the paramedics come. As soon as they all get there and the police and everybody, she jumps in the car and says, let's go. I don't want to get tied up with paperwork. If you you know anything about, if you're in the medical field at all, you know what paperwork is, right? Nurses have to chart all day long and uh, doctors have to do all that. But I remember her saying, I said, mom, don't you want to see if they, if they live or die or what? And she's like, I've done what I can do. It's, they're in their hands now. But I remember that day. I was a little boy, but I just remember thinking, my mom is a superhero. Wow. You know, because at the hospital, when I'd follow her around, she walked so fast, my little legs are going, <laughs> you know. But when I, when I go to the hospital, but you know, I didn't really get to see her in action because when she'd go into a hospital room to do it, the door would close and you weren't allowed in. But I remember that day on vacation, my mom doing that. I remember her getting in the car. And she had gone in the, the, 
the bathroom of the uh, gas station to wash her hands best she could. But she, had, she literally had blood all over her. But I just remember thinking, my mom wasn't scared. She didn't think twice. She just did what needed to be done. But you know what? That's how you and I have to see every person we come in contact with. You go down here, to, some of you are going to go to eat today. You're going to go down there and you're going to, and you're going to see it. And you're going to, you need to see the spiritual need of that person. I do too. I'm not talking just to you. I'm talking about to me. We go through the drive-thru. My wife and I, I don't know about you guys, our weakness is McDonald's Cokes. It's the best Coke that exists in the world. Uh, one of the reasons, it's not, a, I used to think it was just me that thought that, but they actually follow the specifications of Coca-Cola exactly, and they, they even have a science to why they give you the big straw with the, with the opening. The oxygen combines with that. Now, if you don't love Coke like I do, then you don't understand what I'm saying, but it's, it's just good. And then, how do they lure you in? It's only a dollar. Large drink's a dollar. How could you beat that? But you know, as you, as, you, as you think about that, we see there's one lady that works there that we see almost 99% time of every time we go. And I've given her tracks before. I don't do it every time, but I've given her. And she thinks of the kids here. She sends, like when McDonald's has those little hats and different things, she gives me a bunch to give to the kids at church for LJ to pass out. But you know, I'm concerned for her. But you all have people like that in your lives too, right? So let's take a look at what Paul says in Timothy a little bit more. 1 Timothy 1, 12. I'm almost done here. Last point. In 1 Timothy verse 12, we're going to look at Paul's thankfulness for God's mercy in our life. I, he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for he, that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Paul says, what he's really saying, and we're going to see this in the next verse, is I'm so thankful God did this, but I don't deserve it. Paul's going to give his resume here. Look at the next verse. Who was before, this is Paul talking about himself before he got saved. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, injurious, but look what he says. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Remember what I told you about Paul? He was one of the highest religious people there could be without being a priest. He had learned everything. He would learned the law. He knew it. And when he was persecuting Christians, it's not because he was just a mean person. He did it because they thought they were blaspheming against his holy God, Jehovah. But he says, I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Unbelief of who? Jesus, the Messiah. Then look at the next verse. It says in verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. I love when God puts in the uh, Bible extra adjectives. Okay? We like to say, you know, if somebody says to you it was good, well, that's all good. But what if somebody says to you it was really, really good? Isn't that better than just good? So it says to you, it wasn't just good. It was really, really good. And if you want to go better than that, it was great. And then Pastor and I have a running joke when we see each other in the hallway here. He's always got to one-up me. If I say I'm doing good, he says he's doing great. If I say I'm great, he goes, I'm really, really great. And then we had this, we had this weird thing we were doing for a while that, you know, we, we, we were going to fly like eagles, right? Because that's our school verse. So we did this dumb, I'm not going to do it. But it was this dumb thing where we do a symbol of an eagle's wings, you know, going down the hall. But we just, you know, we just stopped doing that because it didn't look normal. But, you know, he's going he's gonna to top me. I'm telling you, he's going to top me. He's going to have a better, he says, even if I'm not having a better day than you, I'm going to tell you I'm having a better day than you. But, you know, you look at this, look at that in verse 14 again. It says, the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. It wasn't just abundant. Abundance good, right? If you have an abundance of money, you're not worried about finances. If you have abundance of food, you're not worried about being hungry. If you have abundance of friends, you have plenty of love in your life. If you have abundance of whatever. But he doesn't say that God's abundant. He said God's exceeding abundant. Exceeding abundant. What a great adjective to throw in there. And if you're an English teacher and it's not an adjective, just humor me and pretend it is an adjective, okay? Exceeding abundant faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And look what he says in verse 15. This is, a, this is Paul talking still. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation or being accepted. That Christ Jesus came into the world, now this is Paul, to save sinners. Now look what Paul says. Of whom I am what? He said he's the chief of sinners. Well, I'm going to call Paul a liar right now because I'm the chief of sinners. No, I'm just kidding. Well, we should all feel that way, right? But Paul says, in, ver in that verse, he says, this is a faithful saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says of himself, of whom I'm chief. You want to meet the worst sinner you've ever met in your life? Paul says, here I am. 
But you and I wouldn't look at Paul that way, would we? I would look at Paul and say, yeah, he had some problems at first, but once he got on the road to Damascus and got saved, I would say, man, there's a guy that was on fire for the Lord and lived for Christ, and I want to be like him. But you know what Paul said? No. Hey, I'm the chief of sinners. Here am I. Look at me. I'm the worst. Yeah, let me be, be every person I meet. Hello, my name's Theo. I'm the worst sinner you've ever met. Now, you may know that, some of you that know me a long time, but when you first meet me, you'd be like, this guy's kind of strange. He says he's the worst, worst sinner I've ever met, you know? But Paul said that about himself. And then he says in verse 16, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy. What is that? Mercy and grace means he, he, he's not getting a punishment he deserves. He's getting a free home in heaven and a free gift of eternal life and a free um, covering of the Lord's, uh, Jesus' blood. And he says that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that would hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Guess what? That's you and I. It says, for a pattern to them which should hereafter, after Paul, believe on him to life everlasting. If you're a believer in this room, you believe on Christ to your salvation, to life everlasting. And he says in verse 17, he gives a, very tri- a great tribute in verse 17 to Christ. He says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go back to that song we watched on the screen a little bit ago. The people that were singing that song said, not for my glory, but for God's glory. And they were singing praise to Jesus. Our worship team was singing praise to Jesus. Hopefully you were singing along with our worship team and singing praise to Jesus. But he's the only one worthy of praise. And this is just kind of a throw-in theoism at the last point, but Don't worship man, worship God. Don't worship man, worship God. Why? Because he's done all this thing. People will let you down, but God will never. God will never. You realize you can do something that God can't? You've heard me say this if you've ever heard me preach. You can lie, God cannot. And I think we all know we've told a lie in our lifetime. And if I say one lie, I'm lying. (laughs) Was it one? But, But, you know... But Christ, God can't do that. He cannot lie. If he promises something, it has to happen. You know why? If he lies, he no longer could have been our Savior. He no longer could be our God. And so I'm just going to close with one last little verse, and then I'll be done. And it was 1 Peter chapter 5. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, but 1 Peter chapter 5. And I just want to read this, and then we'll be done. Sorry, i got to get there here. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and he giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Would you say that Paul was exalted? I would say so. He was allowed to do great things for Christ because he humbled himself. And then it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth your, for you. But then he gives us a stern warning. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the word of God. I'm so thankful for the example of Paul. But Lord, I know that Paul would not feel that way. Paul feels like he was nothing without you. And Lord, that's the way we are. We're nothing without you. We're so thankful that uh, as a Christian, we know that you came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, and, and uh, give us a home in heaven. But Lord, I pray if there's one person in this room or watching online, that doesn't know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Um, 1 John 5.13 says you can know you have eternal life. And if, that, if there's anybody here today that doesn't, know that doesn't know that, that they'd make sure before they leave this place. And those of us that do know that, help us to live like you lived, going back to Philippians where it said that you humbled yourself in the form of a servant. Lord, I give you the praise for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you'd stand with me, We're going to have an invitation here. I'm going to ask Carl to come down.
front here and just what we talked about. Maybe you need to come or, or, and do some business with the Lord at the altar. Maybe you just need to do it right there at your seat. Talk to God and tell him how thankful you are for what he did for you. But if you, if you, need, if you have a need, whether it be salvation or you need, want to know about joining the church or you want to know maybe you're saved but you've never been baptized, you want to know about baptism, if you come forward, these, these men can help you down front. Brother Carl's here and just, um, just come and as um, Elizabeth plays for us. So go ahead, Elizabeth.